This is turning into a drive time radio show, you know? We're like, what's the deal with the postal service? (laughs) Sorry about that. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, happy Thursday morning. This is Lifestyle Business Podcast, the show where we believe building a business is the best way to create more personal freedom and opportunity in your life. Today, I am joined by Mr. Opportunity, my captain, my co-host, a man who thinks a Super Bowl can only be bought through the Silk Road. True statement, (laughs) sir? True story. All right, news. First impressions of Japan, bro. What's what's the story? I mean, it's not exactly the digital nomad hotspot. Why did you make the decision to go there? Ah, good question. Well, yeah, it's not exactly a hotspot at all. It's uh, been like negative negative degrees here. It's actually pretty chilly. But I made the decision to come to Japan because uh, I had never been before, and I had never been before. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, first impression of, of Japan, it is awesome. You know, Japan kind of functions like I think a society would in a utopia. Everyone is very polite. Everything is very clean, um, and everything is very nice. I love it here. And speak. I know why you're saying utopia, though, because I heard you went to one of those cat petting cafes. So this is true. I definitely, yeah, I, of course. I'm a cat guy. I had to go to the cat cafe. I checked it out. It was a thousand yen for an hour. It's about ten dollars an hour. You go there, you have a cup of coffee, and you pet these cats. I've never met a bunch of cats that were as unenthusiastic of, as these cats. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you want to win Ian's heart, just any, just put a picture of a cat on it, and you're good to go. If you want to win my heart, uh, throw a party in Puerto Galera. Actually, there is one at the end of the month, Ian. I don't know if you saw that in the D.C., but Alyssa is heading down to uh, Puerto Galera at Sean's Resort in Badlands and just invited anybody that wants to come around. So if you want some details about that, check out episode 141 of the podcast that's coming up in two weeks. And speaking of the, the super fans on the road, Tropical Talk Radio is back online starting this Friday. So if you want to hear more podcasting, Uh, from myself and occasionally Ian, check out uh, Tropical Talk Radio. I think you got to type in uh, Tropical NBA into iTunes. We still haven't quite resolved that. Ian, how do you feel about an iTunes review? We got one from Rob called Resistance is Futile. Play the tunes. We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. Five stars. He says Dan and Ian are the bear. How do you pronounce that name, Ian? Grills, I believe. Grills, grills. The bear, this is the guy who uh, drinks pee on Reddit. Uh, he does a lot more than that, man. He's like a, uh, he's he's, a survivalist. He's a, yeah, he's an amazing uh, a, a gentleman and survivalist, so I'm glad that um, you know we were related to him. Um, Rob says that we are the bare grills of building a business from your laptop as you travel the world with one exception, their choice of beverage. Oh, dirty. <laughs> Keep an ear out, and you'll learn everything from mental frameworks to business-building tactics uh, as you use what you have at your disposal. Thank you so much, Rob, for braving that. Speaking of survival, I mean, braving that iTunes interface, I'll tell you what. Even, did you, uh, don't install the update if you haven't yet. Jeez, I can't. I haven't. I haven't. I, I saw the trouble that you're going through and I, I opted out. Whew. I got a shout from Damien Ruse. I'm having no problem downloading new episodes of SemiProCycling.com. Hey, Dan, just wanted to give you a pass on a small win that podcasting 
gave me this week. I interviewed the top coach and expert on training with Power Meter for this week's show. We'll give a link over to that show. And for anybody that's inspired to start a podcast, I think Damien's show, I think he's up to episode number 30 right now. It's it's just such an inspiring um, podcast. He's a former musician, and he takes all of that passion and his passion for cycling, and he combines it. And I don't even like bikes, man, but I like listening to his show just to hear how he's um, putting together a great content for his target market. So congratulations, well, Damien. Yeah, and I like bikes. And I, I think Damien's uh, podcast is great if you like bikes. Uh, he's got an awesome format. Uh, and, you know, he's on these power meter things. I think these power meters are going to be pretty cool in the future. It basically measures your output as you're, as you're pedaling. Um, so like a new way to train. So, you know, you know, uh, just a few short months ago, Damien's a guy who says, you know what, I think I'm going to start up a podcast. And now we're sitting here. He's a guy who's been on the phone, uh, you know, over an hour probably with one of the top experts in the entire world. The power of podcasting, sir. Absolutely fantastic. Dave writes, you answered my email in May of last year back on the LBP number 105. Wow. That was a long time ago. Back when I was starting up and I said I wanted to get serious and do this whole entrepreneurship thing so just an update i gave notice at my work today applause effect please for you dave and uh in around a month i'll be moving to southeast asia to join a team a marketing and product development team congratulations dave that's so cool and a a lot of listeners are making tons and tons of progress whether that's quitting the job or multi multi millions hopefully we'll do some interview skis with the multi-million duders but you know they're so busy these guys are so busy Uh, uh, Trevor gave us a call Uh, let's give it a listen hey what's up Dan and Ian this is Trevor Pirtle from Real Life English and I just want to tell you that I love your podcast you guys are just filling my brain it's got me so stoked Uh, we have some podcasts that we just started here with Real Life English you gotta listen to the last two podcasts we did one was before I started listening to you guys and the one after that is after you started influencing us and man they're a world apart you guys inspire us like no other. We got big dreams, baby, big dreams. Trevor, love it, man. Friday night is uh, one of my favorite times to hustle. You know, Ian, Ian and I used to go, go into work on Saturday nights and, and hang out and just think, you know, we're doing something to move our lives forward when in a previous life we might have been just doing what everybody else was doing. So that felt really good. So The party uh, only gets better, my friend. That's right. Staying on Friday nights, the party gets better. And just as a side note, I mean, this whole professional training niches I'm seeing just blowing up a lot of people. I mean, this is the Pat Flynn thing with the lead exam academy and the uh, security guard training. But there's so many DCers who are making money off of similar things. You know, if you're going to train somebody how to make their own ROI by, you know, becoming a professional and then making a great salary or having a, a new kind of life. I mean, you know, you can charge a premium for your product and people are going to have a huge desire to buy that product from you. So already in onto the meat and potatoes or yakitori and rice, if you prefer. Today, we're talking about rocking the Rockefeller processes. H is for hire. That's right on the 1000 day journey. It takes many of us to build our small businesses Um, we're identifying these stages that you go through. You go through the apprenticeship stage, you go through the productize stage, and the very next stage is H. H is for hire, and probably out of, uh, you know, out of all the categories so far, it's probably the most difficult. So let's just jump right into it. This, a lot of the the data or, or the ideas in this podcast, Ian, are based on a book called Mastering the Rockefeller Habits by Vern 
Harnish, a book sold to me, by the way, by remarketing on Google. So pretty clever. How about that? Pretty cool, yeah. The book followed me around for a week. I was like, all right, well, pretty clever, Vern. I'm going to you know, double check. And it kind of had, you know, one of those businessy titles, you know, and I was like, well, you know, there's a little bit of a turnoff. And I, I took a second look at it and then, and then I bought it and it's, you know, it's right up there with like Jim Collins kind of stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's corporate focused, but it's so good. And I found I was taking notes like a madman you saw. Um, so I really, really recommend this book. Can't recommend it enough. So, um, so today, I mean, I think the fundamental idea here, Ian, is if you're building a cash flow. Um, that you can't hire somebody to manage for you. You're not building a business. You're you're building yourself a job. So that might be one of the distinctions you'd say between like a small business owner and an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is someone who's building cash flows that can be managed and scaled by other people so that you're not building yourself a job. Or, or creating an asset, maybe. Exactly. And w- one of the things that Vern talks about is that the reason this is where most people stop most firms never the vast majority of firms never go past three people because people don't don't like to you know work for other people and they don't like to work with people underneath them either so people seem to have um sort of a a general distaste for working in a company situation or you know as an entrepreneur you'd rather just do your own thing kind of thing and this was what takes people away from hiring but Hopefully this episode, we can convince you that it can be more fun and more productive to bring people onto your team. And I really do believe it. It doesn't have to be a source of stress and anxiety to have a bunch of staff. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you come across uh, somebody that you know, claims they're an entrepreneur and they say like, well, I can't, I can't manage people. I just, I just can't do that. You know, or, or the reason I started this business is so I don't have to work with other people. I, I, all the time. And, and, and I think it really draws people into this whole idea that you can sort of play the internet lotto machine or that you can just be a gamer, like just take your Warcraft skills and apply it to affiliate marketing and you'll be good to go. And that's not entrepreneurship. I don't know. I mean, we can have a good old fashioned argument, argument about that, but like, that's not where like, I think entrepreneurship uh, resides and, and it's not a sustainable way. I mean, if you're, if you're doing the world of Warcraft entrepreneurship thing, you're always worried about like losing your edge, losing your knowledge edge. You're staying up all night and you're drinking unhealthy, um, energy colas. So this is not a sustainable <laughs> strategy. You know, you are. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. Jokes aside. Um, there's only three reasons that your business could be going astray at this point in the process, either a lack of leadership, a lack of systems and structure, and we talked about that in 134, or the market conditions. So today we're going to talk about lack of leadership, which, you know, the cool thing about systems and structure, if you have the right leadership in in place, you can adjust those things. And same deal with market conditions. But if you don't have that fundamental um, building block of leadership, you know, you're doomed. And the good news is, is that there's only two things that are required for leadership. You know, it's not confidence. It's not charisma. It's not all this other stuff. You can build that out after the fact. The two fundamental building blocks, says Vern Harnish, uh, and, and I absolutely love this, is the ability to predict and the ability to delegate. Interesting. So we're going to talk about five ways you can either predict or delegate your way into being an effective leader, an effective manager, and building an agile, legitimate business that can weather the test of time or at least get you out of 
the, the situation where you're constantly having to wake up every morning and go out and drag it home, so to speak. So Dan, how long, how long did it take us? I think before we hired somebody, our first employee, I think it was, we were a good year and a half, two years in. And, uh, I think I remember anywhere from six months from the inception of our business to that point, which was like a year and a half or two years in, I mean, it was almost like a monthly, well, it started off as like a monthly conversation. Then it turned into like a weekly conversation. Then it was like a daily conversation. Oh, um, contrary. I think we really uh, waited too long to hire, don't you? Actually, I can, uh, th- there's another element to the story that we, we haven't talked about yet on the podcast. Okay, so this is point number one. So we're going to talk about five points. The first point is a delegate point, right? Again, so there's two elements. There's prediction and there's delegation. The first point is a delegate point. Race to your first hire. Actually bend over backwards to get the first person working full-time for your company. So Ian, me and you had full-time jobs. We decided to do the side gig for a company. How long did that last? Maybe four to eight weeks? And I remember one day I just woke up and I was just like, this sucks. Like, this is not good enough. If we're going to really grow a company, we need somebody working full time for this thing. And we know this is going to work out. This is another point we're going to get to. So it's worth it. It's a good idea to hire somebody immediately. So we hired you. I remember all the partners got together and we said, you know, it's it's worth it to basically take some of our money and loft you out of uh, out of your job. Yeah, so at the time, what was going on with us was the lion's share of the work that had to be done was design work. We yes. uh, we got out. What is it? I, I don't. I didn't go to business school. I think it's like called a Gantt chart or something like that. Yeah, Jeez. it's like I'm a really, pro- uh, like kind of like a. It's like what like a construction guy would use to build a skyscraper or something. It's like the cement guy's got to come in three weeks or whatever. Right. So we built out this chart and we said, all right, if we're gonna have um, you know a million dollars in revenue by this time. These are all the products that we're going to need to develop, and this is how much time it's going to take. And we just thought, wow, if we hire me right now, we're going to get this done in six months. If we continue to let me work this job and try and do this on the side, it's going to take us like two years. And we just thought, that's not an option. we got to get to this as fast as possible. So we raced to our first hire. And, and in the second hire, I felt like was really... Uh, premature too in the sense that it, it felt empowering like yeah we're like getting a leg up on this um i remember you know things were really really tight and it was a scary decision i mean we we could have just hotboxed it you know me and you sitting there at the front of the spaceship you know doing high fives every time we make a sale and putting the receipt in the middle of the table but i, I remember thinking at the time like that's not how you grow a business you know if i got to sit there and be clever on the telephone every single day in order to make this thing happen on a day-to-day basis that's not a business so we went out and we hired uh, a young gun named alistair and so i mean i just want to i think the the whole point about racing to your first hire is you have to kind of take a personal inventory and step yourself back to the beginning of the show and say, do you want to be the person that is building yourself a job or do you want to be the person that's building a business? And, I, you know, I would just do everything possible to accelerate yourself into putting people in place. And, uh, and I, you know, what? here's what most people do. That's the, they do it ass backwards. They, they're going to say like, well, I'm going to do all the important stuff, right? And then I'm going to go get a bunch of VAs to do all the stuff that's not important. Well, I think what we're talking about here when we say race to your first hire is racing to get people doing the important stuff as soon as possible. All right. Number two point is a prediction point. You ought to forgo personal income in order to accelerate those hires. So the whole idea here, Ian, is that if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to have a fundamental understanding of accounting. 
I'm sorry. And I remember, remember how we used to cut our teeth over this at the beginning of our business? I mean, we absolutely sat and like stared at these things and, and looked up on Wikipedia and spent a lot of time learning this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's the fundamental, it's the building blocks of any good business is, is having at least a basic understanding of accounting. Um, because if you run out of cash or you do something crazy like that, you're not going to have a business anymore. Um, one of the decisions we made, and I think we talked about this on an earlier episode, was um, we decided to forgo personal income in order to hire people. Um, and we did that for a couple reasons, but the main reason was because we predicted um, that in the future, if we were able to hire people, we we're going to build a big business or a decent sized business and it was going to scale. Um, and it was worth it for us not to buy Porsches in the beginning of our business. Right. And it turns out, unfortunately, that it's still worth it for us not to buy Porsches. I just absolutely hope, hope, yeah, we, can that's a, <laughs> hope we can turn the corner is on a, that uh, one. That is, a, that is something that comes up for us. We say, oh, are you going to hire this person or are you going to buy a Porsche? No, that's not really our, our, our logic. But in the beginning when we were naive, that might have been our logic. And here's the deal. Let's take it back to the beginning. You predict and you delegate. And so if you're a solopreneur and you're like, oh, I don't care about my spreadsheets. I don't care about accounting. How can you make predictions about what's going to happen in the future if you're not looking at the books? How can you make predictions about how much cash you're going to drop to the bottom line, which is that precise figure if you're just getting started, which is going to help you to make that jump to race to your first or second or third hire? Because you're going to look at how much cash am I peeling off on a monthly basis? What's my cash flow? Can I get somebody in this door as fast as possible? And so if you're not looking at the books, you're not making effective predictions. Number three is a delegate point. Hire people as effective or more effective as you. And one of the things that Vern brought up, and he, this guy's been through like 100, this guy's been on a block, which is why the book is absolutely fantastic. He says one of the biggest things that holds businesses back is that the business owners have too much of an ego and have a little bit of a difficulty hiring people that are as effective as themselves or more so. All right, so so if the leader of the business is an incredible salesperson, um, it's very gonna it's gonna be often the case that 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 person built a weak sales team. You know, someone to kowtow to their incredible domination over over the sales process. So something you really want to be uh, cognizant about. Yeah, I'll give a story about um, when we first started out, Dan. You know, you and I were doing uh, all the work in the beginning, and I'll speak for myself. Uh, I was uh, the warehouse guy, I was the designer, and I was the sales guy at one point. And I was doing all these things, so it was kind of like a Swiss Army knife, right? Um, it had, you know, uh, a saw blade in there, had a toothpick in there, had a pair of scissors in there. And all those tools are great, but they don't really do anything really well. They just kind of do it. Um, and so when we were able to start hiring people, we could actually hire like a real pair of scissors, a real toothpick, um, if you know what I mean. Speaking of toothpicks, I mean, one of the things that I could have crushed maybe, we talked about this quite a bit at the beginning, is that I was pretty good on the phone. Um, I was a pretty good sales guy. But I realized that like it wasn't going to be a super leveraged way to grow our business would be for me to sit there and like work the phones all day long. So I had to take that risk. And what we managed to do with you know, vis-a-vis -vis systems and structures is train people up on sales. And you were there too, and you were quite good at sales as well. So that helped quite a bit. But it's this idea of sometimes you do have to walk away from the things that you're good at and find a way to make it happen, at least as good as you could have done it or, you know, within, within a range. Number four is a prediction point. You should be hiring for cash flows that are existent 
in your business. And, and you know, this is just our old freaking, uh, we're going to beat this one until, until the actual milk comes out of the cowhide because you shouldn't be using hiring as a business opportunity. And people do this all the time. Um, you know, they say exactly what I said just be in the previous point, which is I'm a great sales guy. I'm going to man the phones because that's what I do. And I'm going to pay some uh, VA to make us a dominant web presence. You know, Dan, I want to say something about uh, hiring. This is kind of like a general uh, overview. But one of the things that I think happened in our business is um, once we started hiring people, we started working less. And I think this is like the the four-hour work week um, kind of maxim, right? But it doesn't exactly play out like you're sitting on a beach. I mean, for us, it it allowed us to go work on new projects and other things and actually be entrepreneurs. Um, but once you hire people and once you start training people in your systems and in your business, you can actually work on your business less and I think make more. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I'm glad we're talking about this because this is where people get it wrong. People think that employees are going to be less fun, less stressful, and that's why we're talking. Most businesses have less than three people, and most internet marketers have zero people plus an, a VA who's causing them more problems than they're paying them for. Final point is also a prediction point. Um, and this is sort of a so, – so the more people who apply to every one of your job positions, generally, as a rule, the better people you're going to get into your organization. So – one of the things we just wanted to bring up for you guys is how important it is to have some kind of hiring strategy. Um, often oftentimes, a hiring funnel is a direct correlation to your culture and how you're expressing that to the marketplace. So if you've got a great culture, people are going to want to come work for you. You're going to have a lot of applications, and you're going to get a lot better people. And you see that with stuff like Tropical MBA. I mean, you just look about the amazing talent um, that are helping us grow our business, Taylor and Alyssa and, and Ben with this podcast and on and on and on, the list goes on. And the culture comes from the vision, Ian. Yeah, and it the, does. And, uh, you know, you read the job description, it's one thing, it's work, right? I mean, that's what a job is, it's work, but it's a story that surrounds that job that really uh, explains the culture and explains the vision. So like you said, I think that uh, your vision kind of um, trickles down and then you can kind of build a culture around that uh, and vision. Vision ties all back into prediction, right? And you don't need to be Tony Shea saying that you want to bring dinosaurs back to life or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like a vision could just be, I want to have the best website for X on the planet. And that's something that you can be a part of too. Hey man, we found a way to get people to rally around portable bars. If you can do that, you can have a culture around portable, portable bars and a vision. I mean, a vision around portable bars, you can do anything. Right. The old free beer marketing plan works every time. Here's what we'd like you guys to take away from this episode. So this is the actionable element of the show, which is I would like you to take an inventory of the priorities in your business, the data points that help you determine whether or not those priorities are being reached and or properly approached, so to speak, and the rhythm with which you check up on them. Okay, and so if you want to know more about this, again, um, do pick up. There's uh, Vern uh, Harnish, again, let's give him another shout. Absolutely fantastic book. Um, on his website has really comprehensive charts for how you can do this. So the idea, Ian, would be, you know, you're going to reevaluate different kinds of priorities on a daily, a weekly, a quarterly, and an annual basis uh, with different data points. You know, it might be a revenue thing 
on an annual basis, or it might be a um, sort of a smaller KPI on a weekly basis. Like traffic, per se. Traffic would be a great example. You're not going to come to the annual Christmas party and be like, we had X traffic figure. You know what I mean? It's just not, that wouldn't be the rhythm with which you'd check up on that. And so, and I also think injecting rhythms in which you're doing this, like, you know, for me, um, I get on a phone call every Friday afternoon and we talk about what are our priorities and are we meeting those priorities? What are the data points that suggest we're either making progress or that we need to reevaluate our strategy? So again, that's rhythm, priorities, and data. And uh, we'll link C over to all the charts that you could uh, sort of, and this is it's just, it's just a simple way to make your business more fun to run. One thing I like about this rhythm priorities data is it's kind of like a loop. It's kind of like a feedback circle too. So then your data starts to kind of drive your rhythm. Uh, and then it, it just kind of, it just kind of tumbles on itself. Right. Um, so, so like in the case of our little publishing business, which has two employees, all of two employees, it, it doesn't make sense for me to have a, a daily phone call because the data doesn't move that fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Again, that's Mastering the Rockefeller Habits by Vern Harnish. Uh, absolutely. Fantastic stuff. All right, cool. So let's get moving on to just the tips. All right, Ian, one of the things I was really struck by at Tropical MBA is how important writing well has to do or is involved with starting a business. And I don't necessarily mean like you need to be able to write a um, uh, the great American novel or whatever, but when you say peop, hear people say, I have a really hard time expressing myself with writing, that's a big problem for a business person because unless you're a designer or a, a dance artist, how are you going to express your product ideas to others? I think you're going to have to write because, yeah, you definitely can't dance your way through it, generally. <laughs> We've tried. So anyway, check out On Writing Well. It's a quick read. It's by William Zinser. It's a classic, and it can help you to do the hardest part of writing, which is to think well, to think clearly. And, hey, that's the most important part of, uh, you know, I was working with some guy on a sales letter the other day, and it was all this kind of, you know, you know, all the sales letter gurus are all like, you got to be the benefit of the benefit of the benefit. I mean, we're so far, there's like these meta benefits and, you know, at this, it's very difficult to think clearly at that meta level if you don't know, you know, what resides under the pile of bullshit. Yeah, buddy. And on that point, uh, you know, we, we write uh, product descriptions all the time for the products that we sell online. And man, is that an exercise? You know, you have to, you have to really sit down and and think about it um, and, and explain to people how the product works in words. And I think it's a great exercise. Uh, and that's one of the ways that I've learned to uh, to uh, get through that over the past couple of years. Yeah, you know, and all this stuff gets amplified. Like if you can't express yourself through write, uh, well through writing, that could be what's holding your career back and you might not even know it. You know, back when we were employees, we used to care a whole lot about how our emails look to our customers and clients. We used to micromanage and analyze them left and right. And because you want to have a clear expression of your ideas, well, when you become an entrepreneur, you know, those emails turn into sales pages, turn into process documents turn into annual reports and policy documents and they need to be articulated well it's something you you know nine times out of ten you're going to have to address this and uh, it's worth getting to work on all right dan so i read a book this week uh i'm going to share it with you guys it was Benjamin franklin's autobiography and i know that you gave me a hard time uh when i said this to you you said what what are you talking about 
Um, but there's a couple of things that I want to point out. Even back then, uh, Benjamin Franklin and people of his time, they, you know, they focused on the one thing that they were good at. And a lot of people, they did it their whole life. Obviously, Benjamin Franklin, he did a lot of things in his life. Um, but for the first uh, little part of his life, um, he focused on a skill, he honed it, and he was able to make a good living from it. Having a, an insane expertise is like an elevator to network up. You know, when someone writes me an email and says, Dan, I know something that you don't know, that gets my attention. As an, you know, maybe that's in day-to-day conversation, that's an affront. You know, people can be like, wow, who's the arrogant guy? But when, when you say that to, to an entrepreneur, their ears perk up. Like, really? There's something that I don't know that could help me grow my business? And, you know, so I think that's how a lot of young people, like, you know, you look at John McIntyre is developing his expertise of copywriting or whatever. You know, that skill that he's spent a year developing is something that more developed entrepreneurs who didn't have that year to give are perking their ears up now and starting to listen. So I think that that's sort of a lesson for networking. And, and, you know, you got to put in those hours if you want to get to the table with people that are more successful than you. Exactly. And speaking of networking, the second point I want to bring out about uh, Benjamin Franklin's autobiography was his love of books. So Benjamin Franklin, uh, as he describes it, he was uh, a lover of books um, from a very young age. Um, And he had a collection of books. And um, this was one of the ways that he connected with people. Um, And it actually, it sounds like it, it was a way for him to network with people. So government officials um, found out at a very young age that he was interested in books and then they could talk to him on that level. All right, Ian, on behalf of the audience, I want to thank you for uh, taking uh, some time out of your luxurious vacation in Japan. I heard a rumor you're going skiing tomorrow. Is that true? Uh, no, that's not true. I'm going snowboarding. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to join us all today. Today we're going to play you out with one of our favorite bands, Wilco. I'm always in love, and I absolutely love doing this podcast every week. We'll see you guys next Thursday morning. Arigato and booyah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do. We'll wear you.